I have a travel bug. Definitely. I don't know its name. All I know is that I have to feed it at least once a year by going to new and interesting places. From these places, I write about my experiences. So, where on earth am I now? Machu Picchu, Peru, Friday the 30th of October, 2010. So I've learned by now that the Spanish came and did awful things here in South America and killed off the Incas. However, there was one city they never got to. They never found it. And the reason was that it had already ceased to exist by the time they arrived. And just like the Tiwanaku Empire I visited recently, no one really knows why. People lived there for about 50 years, and then they didn't. The city in question is Machu Picchu, the postcard image. On the front of any guidebook of South America, you'll see it. In the window of any tour company, you'll see it. For many, it is the entire reason they journeyed to this part of the world. And today was our turn. I was keen to see what all the fuss was about, so it was another early start up at 6am to catch a train. I didn't even know the last time I saw one of those. And already at this early time of the morning, I was having my first new experience of the day. The slowest train in the world. Seriously, it travelled at 20 miles an hour. This was so we could enjoy the views, but still, 20 miles an hour. The journey took four hours. But the views were spectacular. Not only were there regular windows in the side of the train, but there were big windows all along the roof, too. As the journey went on, we realised why. The train to Machu Picchu passes along the narrow floor of a valley, and climbing up both sides are steep, luscious green mountains. Many of them have their peaks hidden from view as they rise up into the clouds. And that's the reason for the roof windows, as you are constantly craning your neck to look vertically skywards at these giant disappearing peaks. The train snaked its way through the Andes alongside the Urubamba River. This river was an actual river, I was glad to see. Too often, in numerous places on this trip, I'd been told we were crossing the river this, passing the river that, only to look down into little more than a ditch full of toxic foam and industrial waste. However, the Urubamba rushed alongside the train and cascaded over rocks and down hills. It was a pleasant sight. And every now and then, you would look up the mountainside and see a waterfall rushing down to add to the flow. Nobody lived out here. Every now and then, there would be a random hut or even an occasional person. Then sometimes a tiny village. But all the time, the stunning views. Eventually, we arrived at the foot of the mountain in Aguas Calientes. Our guide, with a green and yellow flag, picked us up. Here we also met Robert Lockhart from Vancouver. He looked like an explorer, and his name fitted too. I found myself thinking it should be Dr. Robert Lockhart. That would match his stripy shirt. Anyway, we boarded our bus, which winded up the mountain, again providing stunning views. Every now and then we caught the silhouette in the sun of the ruins above us. They looked like jagged teeth sticking out of the hillside. And then we pulled in, separated into English and Spanish guide groups, and set off. Straight away, since it was good weather, we were taken up to the viewpoint where the famous picture is taken. We took quite a few. I wanted to get it perfectly. I did, by the way. It's my new wallpaper. So yes, we had a perfect first view. The city of Machu Picchu perched on top of a mountain. 
It was discovered by accident in 1911 by an American, Hiram Bingham, who was searching for a different city, Vilcabamba, which is even bigger and is perched on top of another mountain nearby. When he stumbled across Machu Picchu, he thought he'd succeeded. It was an ancient city hidden in the undergrowth. How many of those could there be nearby? Anyway, it turns out he was wrong. But what a mistake to make. A lost Inca city. And since the Incas didn't keep any written records, there was no way of knowing the name. So it was named after the mountain peak itself, Machu Picchu. Still today, just 70% has been discovered. The other 30 remains overgrown, hidden under the luscious green surroundings. It's such an odd sight walking around up there. Remains of a big human settlement, but in such a geographically awkward setting. Everywhere you look continues to defy the senses. The mountains are just so beautiful. And every now and then, you catch sight of an Inca trail on the opposite peak. People think there is only one Inca trail, but there were loads. It was the motorway of the time, the way they travelled from one village to the next. Endless green mountainside occasionally was split by a thin black line cutting through. It was a well-known Inca trail. Because Machu Picchu was by no means isolated. That's what your brain tells you when you stare at the setting. But our guides are different to our brains. There are many other towns and villages and ruins, overgrown by jungle and hidden from sight out on those mountainsides. People tut and disagree with the trainloads of tourists visiting Machu Picchu, and I can see their point. But just you wait until they uncover the bigger, neighbouring city of Vilcabamba. Just you wait until they finish uncovering Machu Picchu. Or they uncover two nearby villages, or three, or four. That's when the tourists will really arrive. To see a whole network of mountaintop towns, and walk the ancient trails that link them. But for now, Machu Picchu is incredible enough. Our tour lasted two hours. We went into typical houses, walked down streets, saw the temple, and wandered along terraces. That's an Inca farming tradition, carving huge flat terraces of land out of the steepest mountainside. I saw them on the Isla del Sol in Lake Titicaca, too. These terraces, carved out of the Machu Picchu mountain, were used to grow maize to feed the population of the ancient city. We also stared in awe at the most vertical mountains, as our guide told us, you can follow a trail up there, there's a trail for that one too. All the time, Robert Lockhart made notes on a pad, with a little pencil, and asked endless questions. I found myself thinking how amazing it would be to stay the night here. We were only on a day trip, but there is a hotel perched up here. Probably ridiculously expensive, though. But it would be unreal. To listen to the silence, and stare up at the stars, which would be incredible. And to go hiking in those mountains and stumble across an ancient village in the undergrowth. Yes, I think I may need to return here. After the tour, we had about an hour to ourselves. We lay on a luscious green terrace and stared forwards where the land fell away dramatically and a huge valley stretched out before us. Up and down the terraces, wild llamas grazed. Tame really isn't the word for these. They seem to have a slight air of arrogance and importance. I suppose I would too if people came and took photos of me all day every day. Soon it was time to leave. We boarded the bus again and snaked down the mountain to the train station below. Before we boarded the train, there was just time to grab a late lunch. This is probably the best meal I've had out here. It was a Mexican burrito and it was amazing, stuffed with rice, meat, vegetables and beans with a mashed avocado salad. 
because we were short of time, we got it to take away and ate it on the train. The faces of the women next to me seemed to confirm that it smelt incredible and was stinking out the whole carriage, but I wasn't even sorry. The rest of the train journey was pretty uneventful. Darkness fell, so there were no spectacular views to be seen. Luckily, though, the train seemed to go a little faster. Hours later, we pulled in at Cusco. We saw Robert Luckhart one last time, and he said to me, Take care, Daniel. Brilliant. Thanks, you too, whatever your name is. We got back to the hostel and crashed straight into our beds. What an epic day. Those sights, those views will never be forgotten. And tomorrow, something else very unique and special was happening. We had a lion. La Paz, Bolivia. Monday the 1st of November, 2010. What a weekend. After Machu Picchu on Friday and our whistle-stop tour of Cusco on Thursday, Saturday was a very relaxed affair. I didn't get out of bed until midday. Mum was a bit ill, anyway, so we took things very slowly. After a nice lunch, we wandered past the poshest, most expensive hotel in all of Cusco and decided to go in for a nose-around. It was seriously swanky, a converted monastery. You entered first into the old cloisters, with the rooms on the upper level all around, and on the lower level, a couple of bars and a restaurant. In the middle, guests sat, sipping wine and smoking cigars around one huge old cedar tree, apparently the oldest in Cusco. Also, off the ground level, was an old chapel, still in use, decorated with gold leaf and fresh flowers all around. We walked out of there and thought of going to the Inca Museum next, but on arrival, we found it had closed just five minutes before. That was annoying. The price of a lion, I suppose. I think I felt a little bad for not really doing anything on our last day in Peru, but we had done so much in the last few days in both La Paz and Cusco that we were exhausted. Besides, Mum wasn't feeling up to much, so she went back to bed in the hostel, and me and Dad went for a wander before sitting in the main square, the Plaza de Almas. Little did any of us know how much would be going on that evening. Sunset from the centre of Cusco is an incredible sight. The sun falls lazily behind the surrounding Andes, and then the sky goes from tropical orange to candy floss pink, and then a stark white before darkness. We got some great pictures. Then, as me and Dad got up and walked through the square, we saw dancers, loads of them in traditional dress. A band played and a crowd formed. They were brilliant, jumping through the air, pairing off and then dancing individually too. And there was such a great atmosphere. We moved on and saw the finishing touches being put to a stage. Plus loads of frames had been constructed out of bamboo into different shapes, like for example the cathedral. It looked as if they would perhaps be set on fire later. So we went back to the hostel and grabbed Mum. We all needed to soak this up. It was our final night after all. We came and sat in the square again while final preparations were being made around us, and slowly but surely the square itself filled with people. Then we spied a restaurant in the square, with a perfectly placed balcony overlooking everything. We had been starting to think about dinner, and there may just be some free seats. So we made our way in and up to the second floor. There was space! Wow, what a stroke of luck! We were sat down in the most perfect seats. We had the best view of the whole square. The band took to the stage and started playing, although admittedly a little out of time, but very loudly. We ordered a pizza to share and then had a banana split. This was perfect. Then a slightly more in time and slightly louder band in the restaurant started playing. 
So we were hearing two bands at the same time. Brilliant. We were drowned with sound. It was like listening to two brass orchestras falling down the stairs. Then dancers skipped in to the restaurant. Two boys and two girls, again in traditional dress with big smiles. We asked the waiter what people were actually celebrating, to which he replied, "The feast of the Lord of the Earthquake." Now, the Lord of the Earthquake was the crucifix in the cathedral. We'd seen it. Apparently, it had been paraded around the square during a tremor, and caused the earth to fall still. However, we had learned that the event was marked around Easter, so basically, this was a big show put on for the tourists. It was a tourist city, and they needed to be regularly entertained. We didn't care; we were loving it. We ordered some pisco sours to soften the blow of the two bands from two sides. However, these pisco sours were a lot more well sour than the ones we had had the other day, and they wouldn't let you forget how alcoholic they were in a hurry either. The dancers continued in the restaurant with regular costume changes. It was quite impressive. Then, out in the square in front of us, the bamboo frames were wheeled into center view. They weren't set on fire as we thought, but were used for fireworks. They all had Catherine wheels spinning off of them, and then rockets soared into the night sky. After taking this all in, we gave up our perfect seats to some overexcited Germans and made our way back out into the throng in the square. Fireworks continued to shoot into the sky, and the band struggled to play in time. Then we saw another band, also in the square, playing something completely different but equally loud. Could it be that we've been hearing three bands at once? I wouldn't be surprised. We returned to the quiet of our hostel and went to bed. Another early start the next day. We were up at six. It was the end of our time in Peru. We got our early flight back to La Paz, back to Bolivia. Of course, it was back to a lesser standard of living after the swanky, done-up tourist trap that was Cusco. But for me, it was also back to familiarity. I was beginning to identify with La Paz. It felt like I'd just been there for so long now. To be honest, I could never live here in La Paz, not permanently. I miss England too much. However, it was like me and this crazy, ridiculous city now fitted together when it had all seemed so alien before. We now get on when before it was like we didn't quite see eye to eye. Anyway, this is no time for a final thought. We had another big day ahead. We landed in La Paz, got back to our hostel, dumped our bags, and then set off again immediately. We were off to do the part of the city tour we'd missed the other day. This meant our open-top bus headed out to the south of the city, to the Valle de la Luna, or Valley of the Moon. The name is pretty self-explanatory. Just outside of La Paz, to the south, is a rock formation, and I'm not talking Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones. It's an area of jagged, rocky ground which resembles a lunar landscape. And it's such a weird sight. I think mostly because such a natural wonder is quite the contrast to the noisy, imposing capital city right next to it. We got off the bus and did the fifteen-minute walk around it. At some bits, the jagged points rose way above you on each side. At other points, you stared down through gaps to the underwater river that flowed below. And then, since it was Sunday, in keeping with Bolivian tradition, brightly dressed dancers and a band filed in to dance their Sunday away. I like that these ones, dressed in sky blue, didn't require an audience. They just danced here in this setting because they enjoyed it. We finished our bus tour, and then I treated Mum and Dad to Appy, the sweet traditional Bolivian drink made out of red maize. They weren't as entirely convinced as I was, but drank it all the same. Then we found a refuge for dinner, for backpackers and expats. Seriously, there wasn't a single native in there. You can picture the place. It had a pool table and a book exchange. And they played Kaiser Chiefs and MGMT. 
Yeah, you know the sort of place I mean. The food was great, and the smoothies were amazing. And then that was it. Mum and Dad had come to the end of their week in South America, and it had been a packed one. They had to get up at four thirty to go and catch their plane, and so insisted we said goodbye the night before, so I didn't have to get up. It had been so nice to see them out here in La Paz, and to get out of Bolivia to another new country with them, and they know how to pack a lot in. And so it's Monday. They're gone, and another working week has begun in La Paz. Oh, which means I should really be working. I haven't got long left. The Travel Bog podcast is written and produced by David Monero. For exclusive pictures and videos to accompany the series, go to twitter.com/davidmonero. dot com forward slash David Monero.